Hello, everybody. I'm Aaron Martell. And I'm Mike Cordes. And welcome to Albumatics, a podcast where we discuss and analyze a musical album of our choice. This episode, we are joined by returning guest co-pilot Paul Lange. Paul, welcome back to Albumatics. Hey, Aaron. Thanks for having me on, man. It's a lot of fun as usual. Absolutely. So in this episode, we're going to review Rage Against the Machine's 1992 self-titled debut album. Paul, where do you come in with Rage Against the Machine in the first album? All right. Well, I first heard Rage when I was, uh, or actually when I saw Freedom on uh, MTV, which was probably in the winter of about 1994. I don't recall ever really hearing any of the other singles prior to that. Soon after I heard the, or saw the video, I, uh, I bought the cassette tape, which I actually still have and listened to it this week. But uh, anyways, a neighborhood friend of mine, he also liked, uh, liked the, the album, and we listened to it all the time playing backyard basketball and things like that. So I, I, I really kind of loved listening to the album uh, when I was a kid, and I, and I you know, became a big Rage fan and continued to listen to it uh, quite often throughout the years. It was kind of pretty much the closest thing to like hip-hop or rap that I, <laughs> I ever would really listen to. Um, and when I read the uh, the liner notes that said no samples, keyboards, or synthesizers used in making this record, I was like, no way, that's impossible. I think the album in general is a pretty good uh, tribute to Tom Morello and, and his unique style and, and what he kind of brought to the, the world of heavy metal. All right, rock and mic. So, Paul, you made me feel really old. So I was a freshman. <laughs> <laughs> I was a freshman in college when this came out. So a friend of mine named Tim, I've known him since kindergarten. We go way back. We also worked at the same pizza shop together. He was really into hip hop. And so at that time, I was really trying to expand what I was listening to. Um, He was getting me into like Eric B and Rakim and De La Soul and hip hop and stuff. So I was really opening up my eyes. He was really opening up my eyes with anything with different sounds to it or different textures. We would make pizza on Saturday nights and in the shop we would listen to the STCC, Springfield Technical Community College radio, and we would listen to the Caribbean culture. It was like reggae. So we were all over the place listening to stuff at this time. And him and I would go record shopping and I heard, I think it was Killing in the Name and found this used for like eight bucks and picked it up and I still have that copy today. All right. I honestly can't remember the first time I heard of Rage Against the Machine, but I do know that it was well after this album came out, and I became aware that they were blowing up. I mean, somehow I heard the track Killing in the Name. Maybe it was MTV. MTV played it, right? Like, edited? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Eventually, eventually. Yeah. That must have led me to buy this CD, and after about a month of listening to it solid, I sold it back to the record store. I did not like it at all. And that basically ended my time with this band. So, Paul, when you said you wanted to review this record, my first thought was, oh, oh no, man, no, no. <laughs> but I decided to do <laughs> I decided to do what I tried to do with each album I review for the podcast. I tried to wipe the slate clean and come to this record with fresh ears. I mean, it's been two decades since I've listened to this. And that's my starting point for this episode. Yeah, you even said to me, like, I, I hate Rage. <laughs> I, I was like, well, we can do something else if you want. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I don't, yeah, yeah, no, no, this is, this is fine. Now I'll give you some basic facts about this record, as is from the band's Wikipedia page. Rage Against the Machine is a self-titled debut studio album by American rock band Rage Against the Machine, released on November 3rd, 1992 on Epic Records. It was produced by Gugga Garth Richardson and Rage Against the Machine and was recorded from April to May 1992 at Sound City Studios, Van Nuys, California. 
It reached number 45 on the U.S. Billboard 200 chart and is certified three times platinum by the RIAA. And here's the band's lineup card. We have Zach De La Rocha on vocals, Tom Morello on guitar, Tim Comerford on bass and backing vocals, and Brad Wilk on drums and percussion. There are additional musicians which we'll mention as we see fit. Also, all tracks are written by Rage Against the Machine. Okay, let's do a track-by-track analysis of this album. Leading things off is Bomb Track. Paul, what do you think? All right. I love the pace and energy to this song. It's a great choice for the opening track. It builds up to start, and when the drums kick in, it just rocks out. It gets you pumped up for sure. Uh, The riffs were composed by Rage Against Machine bassist Tim Comerford. He also sings the chorus with uh, De La Rocha. The bass and drums had a good groove. The main riffs are more of a normal metal style, I guess you would say. Not like Tom Morell's usual kind of scratching his guitar sound. You get your first taste of Tom Morell's solos and what he does with the, the whammy and toggles. It's not over the top with the scratching noises, and it helps get come off more as a metal song with rap lyrics. The lyrics, like all Rage songs, deal with injustices that the haves are committing against the have-nots. And specifically, there's a racial element when he mentions his people. There's a flag-burning element in there, which isn't fairly popular. But if you like Rage and you agree with the overall message, you're probably someone who can also see the difference of the protest and just someone being a jackass. Uh, this was their third single, and I always found it funny that they named it Bomb Track because they thought the song was The Bomb. <laughs> Rock and Mike. Is that really how they got the name for that? They thought yes. the song was The Bomb? That, that's, that's the rumor, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I, I didn't read that. So I agree with you, Paul, because I always thought this was a great way to open the album because it does have that slow build and it gets the slow build out of Tom Morello and uh, Tim Comerford, who I thought was funny in the credits on this album. He's labeled as Timmy C and South Park has killed it. So I just keep going. Timmy. But they they play that same line and then they get joined by Brad Wilk before Zach comes in. Musically, the song isn't particularly fast or heavy. It just kind of all serves as a bed for Zach's message. What does come through, though, is the anger. When Zach is screaming that line, burn, burn, yes, you're going to burn. And then, like, Brad is just all out bashing his kit. And you can picture uh, Tim Comerford just ripping the pads off his fingers the way he plucks that bass. He's so aggressive in that playing. And that's one of the things that I really like about about him. Morello does hold back. And I agree with you, Paul. I think it comes off more as a metal song with rap lyrics some of those key elements that you hear later in the album that are really Rage's trademark, they kind of hold back on this track. Even his solo, he doesn't unleash on it. He sticks to the groove or the riff. And I like the muted shuffle that he throws in as well. Uh, I always thought this was a bit overrated in terms of the rest of the album, though. I like the song, but I see why they put it down as the first track. So it starts with that low guitar and bass note phrase with the drums kind of entering in and building to explode with Zach De La Rocha's Ugh! 
And he does that a lot all over this album. And I actually kind of like that into a big hard riff section that contains a little bit of funk undertones with bassist Tim Comerford and guitarist Tom Morello aping each other in unison while Brad Wilk pounds out a heavy beat. This sounds cool. I like it. Then De La Rocha comes in with the vocals, and here I, I've got to make something perfectly clear. I've never been a fan of rap or hip-hop. There have been a few rap tracks over the years I've heard that I've liked, so there are exceptions, but in general, I greatly prefer the sound of melodic singing to the rhythmic talking of rap. I don't think rap is garbage. I respect the form. I truly do. But it's just never grabbed me, so when I hear De La Rocha begin to rap, my brain immediately wants to switch off. Plus, his voice is higher pitched, and even though he clearly is very skilled at what he does, I can't help but think of a petulant 13-year-old when I hear him. Now, Rage is a very politically motivated band, and they hold a very negative view of the United States government and powers that be. Nearly all of their lyrics deal with this in one way or another. I interpret this one to be a condemnation of the forceful removal of Native Americans from their lands by European settlers, and De La Rocha is calling for a revolution against the white power structure and take them back. It's incendiary. I'll give it that. And if I focus more on the music than the vocals, I can digest it a little bit better. And as Paul said, this was the third single from the album. The next track is Killing in the Name. Some of those that work forces Draw the same that burn crosses Paul, how about this? Fuck you, Aaron. I'm not going to do what you tell me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this is Rage's most recognizable song, and it was their first single. Although I never heard it until after buying the album because the language kept it from getting too much airplay around here. Uh, it was released only six months after the Rodney King L.A. riots and was obviously written in 1991 when racial tensions in L.A. were very high. Specifically, the lyrics are dealing with police brutality towards minorities and the murder of blacks by police. And it also deals with the systemic racism involved in the government. The key here is the word some, though. They aren't saying that all police burn crosses and are part of the KKK, but that kind of crap has been happening for a long time in our society and still occurs. It's the only song without lyrics on the sleeve, either because with only a few repeated lines, it's rather easy to figure them out, or is it because the song kind of speaks for itself? I'd like to think the latter. The story I always heard is that Tom Morello created the heavier guitarist while teaching a one-on-one guitar lesson, and he stopped uh, the lesson to record the riff. I love the back-and-forth feel, like the drums and bass are battling. Then the guitar comes in, and it feels like a continuation of this back-and-forth. The main drum beat seems simple, and that's not a put-down. Less is more in this case, and it serves the song. The groove is unmistakable and makes you want to bounce. I love the energy. The tone that Tom Morello gets from his guitar, especially on the solo, is really cool. And he uses a lot of feedback and sliding to fill in the background, too. I love this song, and it's one of my favorite Rage songs. And who doesn't love the scream, fuck you, I won't do what you tell me? <laughs> Rock and Mike. So I actually I saw an interview with Tom Morello, and you're correct. He was he was teaching a student uh, detuning, and he downtuned that top that top uh, 
E string and made it a D. And when he did, he played that riff and he went, hang on a minute. And he used to keep a little cassette, a uh, little cassette recorder with him. And he hit record, played the riff, and then went back to the lesson and then brought the, uh, the riff to the band. So that's completely, I just watched that interview today. That's the only reason why I know that. <laughs> but I, um, I love it's got, you've got that funky bass broken up with some cowbell baby. Um, yeah. As I, yeah. as I stated, <laughs> yeah, I knew I was like, Aaron's gotta be in. It's got cowbell. <laughs> There's a lot uh, of cowbell. Um, yeah. as I stated earlier, I think this, I'm pretty sure this is the song that put them on my radar. One of the things obviously that comes out is one reason was the anger and the lyrics, but the other was just the sound that you heard the band coming out, especially when it was just the three of them, Tim consistently plucks at the melody out of the song, Tom Morello, he, he's, he, you know, he's weaving in and out of uh, clean riffing and feedback manipulation to give the song its hip hop hooks. And I love the shuffle and the pick slides under when, under Zach when he's saying, now you do what they told you. With that whole thing, there's some really cool Morelloisms, I guess we could call them, underneath that stuff. And um, we've said before on other episodes, I love a good fuck you song. I was 18 when this came out, and that's when you're looking for a fuck you song. Um, it, it just it hit me right between the ears. And I still love watching this one live if you see him play it. And you just see these thousands of people pogoing up and down, screaming, fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. It, it's something cool to that, and uh, it makes me feel not as old as I am. So I, I still like this song. <laughs> okay, I can admit I do like this. And this is the track I first heard that led me to buy the CD. This track's in your face, and the start and stop section where Zach says, now you do what they told you, it's perfectly designed to be chanted by a large audience. And I love what Morell's doing underneath, just like you said, Mike. The lyrics protest police brutality and systemic racism, and unfortunately, the lyrics heavily resonate in 2020 as they did in 1992. I mean, Jesus. The riffs are heavy, but again, there's an element of funkiness to them that makes your body move. And Morello's solo has these effects on them that makes the guitar sound like a synthesizer, something that Morello's very much known for. It's part of his style. Of course, it all builds up to fuck you, I won't do what you tell me, and it totally works. De La Rocha's man-child voice rises up to a scream, and he does sound pissed off when he's worked up like this. This was the first single that originally reached number 25 in the UK singles chart in 1993. But in 2009, English DJ John Mortar and his wife Tracy launched a group on Facebook encouraging people to buy this song in the week before Christmas to prevent the winner of the X Factor television show from reaching the number one slot in the UK for the fifth year running. And the campaign ended up being successful and Killing in the Name was number one on the UK singles chart the week of December 20th, 2009. I think that's hilarious. That's awesome. Yeah. Metal fans are the best, huh? <laughs> <laughs> this is Rage Against the Machine's signature song. It's an anthem of defiance, and I really do love it. The following track is Take the Power Back. We gotta take the power back. Bam! Here's the plan, motherfucker. Go Sam's get back. I know who I am. Rage, stop the ear. Drop the stomach clear. It's the beat and the lyrics. They fear. The rage is relentless. We need to move it with the quickness. You are the witness. Paul, your thoughts. All right, this one starts off with some interesting drumming and Tom Morell's guitar fills. Then the bass line comes in, and you can just tell it's going to be a cool groove. Then they bring that shit in, and the main riff hits, and the song embraces the energy and rocks out. The riff is crafty, 
while Tim C's bass is funky. There's a good beat and the drum fills are timely, like with the cowbell part. I also really like how the riff and chords change for the chorus. Morello's solo fits the song well here. I love how he makes his guitar sound like, like it's beeping. Uh, lyrically, it's about how the institution of racism throughout the U.S. has affected other aspects of the system, like the schools. It's a call to act and seek out more info than what you are just being given, whether it's from a teacher or the media or the government. An idea that most kids are more than willing to do, rebel. This is the first song on the album where Zach De La Rocha stands out as a lyricist and a rapper. He spits it out with conviction, but he also allows his vocals to roll with the music, almost like another instrument. Mike? So I, at the beginning of that, the way it starts, I, I'm, I'm going to call it a weird pick slide. I'm not sure if that's a weird pick slide at the beginning or not, but whatever it is, there seems to be two of them. And I, I listen to, I always prep usually with headphones on. So there's like one in each channel at different times and they come out and seem to flow away from you while you're using headphones. So it's kind of a cool beginning, but I, man, do I fucking love that bass line? And Paul, you stole my line. Cause I said, I fucking love that bass line before they bring that shit in. <laughs> <laughs> You said I was like, damn it. <laughs> um, but that shit is a simple, repetitive riff under Zach's manifesto. But it, what, the thing is, is, it changes between the verses to have some cool bends to where you think the strings are actually going to break. The solo's cool. I love the shuffle that he puts in it at the end before Brad Wilkes sets up the break by just bashing the ever-living fuck out of his kit. And he sets up, I called it a podium of noise. He's got like cowbell and Zach just kind of seems to stand on it that he and on that kind of bed that they're creating and delivers his message. Tim C keeps the melody throughout on that bass. My favorite part though is when they unleash as Zach screams, take it back. He's like, take it back, take it back and take it back, y'all. And that is the mosh moment of the song for me. Oh, yeah. but one of the things too, a song that it reminds me of, and they didn't ape anything at all, but it just kind of has that same it just unleashes something like they're holding back the whole time. And when, at, when he hits that mosh part, it reminds me a lot of white zombies grindhouse of go-go. It was the same, like in grindhouse of go-go, which was off lost sex or Sisto, There was one point where Rob zombies like, go, go, go. And the band is just taken off. And it's got that same kind of feel. This is one of my favorite tracks on the album. So some bass drum thumps, guitar noises and swells and a semi funky bass intro phrase lead into another riff doubled by the bass and guitar. The guitar actually separates from the bass in the verses, though, and it sinks back up in the choruses. And Morell plays a nice solo that combines melodic and shredding elements. De La Rocha does his thing, and I don't like the vocals. The breakdown has stop and start riffing, and Wilk adds some cowbell, baby. And the outro section starts quietly and builds to screaming riffs and vocals. No more lies. The lyrics deal with the way history is taught in American schools and the way history books are written, whitewashing and glossing over events that would shed a different light on the prevailing Eurocentric narrative that's always been in existence. There's a darker side to history that's not often emphasized in American education. Well, I do like some of what's going on musically. The next track is Settle for Nothing. Now. 
How about this one, Paul? The beginning of this song with the bass riff and the haunting guitar in the background gives you the sense of anticipation. This repeats during the verses as Morel introduces more squeaking, beeping, feedback, slide technique fills. I don't know what you call that. All of the above, maybe? As the chorus comes in, it really rocks and grooves. The riff during the chorus is one of the heavier riffs on the album. Morello's solo is low-key and in a slightly different tone than the others on the album. Most people say every Rage song is the same, but I appreciate the subtle variations like the one in the Morello solo here. Lyrically, it seems to have similar themes of racial injustice, being that minority gay members are convicted and imprisoned more often than other groups. But it is also more of a call to action for people to be aware and stand up against those practices when it's unjust. Not that jailing gang members is an injustice, but the proportion of minorities imprisoned is. And what I like about most of what Rage does, it's not just bringing awareness, but they call on people to act on the causes that they try to promote and your own personal causes. But this one's probably my least favorite song on the album, but it's not, it's not a song I dislike. It's just you know least favorite on the album. All right, Mike. So as serious as the lyrical content is of this song, I kind of laugh when I hear this one because I, I, I could picture this being born out of a, at an open mic night. <laughs> like it, in this like smoky club, you know, moody squeals and the delicate bass line and that, that they all kind of build around Zach's anger. I interpret the feedback as what it's like being inside Zach's head. So it's just kind of like he's always got that going on. The bass line comes back under really what's a jazzy solo, and I think that kind of lends back to my impression of it being born at an open mic night. And it's hard to believe that that solo is in the same song as all the dissonance under Zach's vocal cord tearing screams. And it works. I actually I, I like the song. This is not my muff at all, but all I can think of is, I don't know if you guys ever saw the movie So I Married an Axe Murderer. Yeah. <laughs> So like that whole like I could just picture Zach De La Roca up, up on the stage and it's like doom 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 and it's like Harriet Harriet and just I've got Mike Myers doing his beat poetry and I feel like when this song's over I should snap my fingers like as he walks off the stage um, but I do like the track. This has got a totally different vibe. The music subdued in the verses with a repeated bass line that sounds dark. It's got spare drums and eerie guitar swells. And De La Rocha's vocals have a quiet intensity, and this time I connect to them a lot better. Like a ton of 90s alternative rock tunes, the chorus amps up with a loud, slow, grinding groove, and De La Rocha screams without doing his rap thing. So again, I'm with him. And But what is up with Morello's solo? You liked it? My God, it sounds like he's just noodling around. It sounds terrible to me. It's his worst solo on the album by far. The lyrics are personal this time, about a young man who has a terrible home life. He's never known a father or a role model, so he joins a gang, and he finds acceptance and meaning. But the message does come across that it's not a good way to live, but if we don't take action now, we settle for nothing later. I dig this track a lot. It's a cool change of pace. The following track is Bullet in the Head.
Paul, hit us. All right. This is the second single, and it leads off with a great bass line. And I think this might be Brad Wilk's best drumming on the album, too. This is the most we've seen Tom Morello use his guitar like a turntable so far on the, on the album. Uh, when he comes in with a main riff, though, it really freaking rocks. De La Rocha's rap is delivered at more of a conversational tempo, uh, and the whole song together just has a great groove. The lyrics are about, you guessed it, our fucked up government. <laughs> Specifically, it's about how the government uses media to influence and control the population. Don't let the media get in your head. Think for yourself. I like how the song wraps up quickly with a strong energy. Mike. So I think this one is a perfect example of Rage's power as a band. You got uh, Tim Comerford and Brad Wilk. They laid down the perfect bed for Zach and Morello to go off on. Zach's lyrics, like you were saying, Paul, they're they're urgent and angry, but he's got them dialed back a little bit. And I think that allows Morello to kind of paint with his feedbacky arsenal and toggle switches that he uses. And that's all up until the three-minute point where we get a real chugger of a riff that breaks off for a pick slide. And then the rhythm section builds that tension for Zach just to unleash all of his fury. And as we open, it really just like opens a pit up. And as we open it up, there's kind of like a little stutter step from Brad Wilk on the drums. And then all of a sudden, whatever club they're playing in is now completely decimated because all the kids named Kyle punched the hole in the drywall and ripped the place up. <laughs> so this is a, this is another classic. Comerford plays another bass intro, and then it goes into a very hip-hop-flavored track, with the guitar making weird noises. Morell is known for utilizing effects to make his guitar sound like keyboards or disc scratching and other different kinds of sounds. Here he's using a Digitech pitch shifter and a wah-wah pedal. I admit that it's innovative, but other than a cool gimmick, it doesn't do a whole hell of a lot for me. I mean, most of the time, I want the guitar to sound like a guitar, not a synth. The chorus has a low, mean-sounding riff, and it sounds good, and the solo is more guitar weirdness. It's cool, but it makes me think more of hip-hop than rock, which I suppose it's what they're going for. De La Rocha does his thing, and I don't like the vocals. Lyrically, I'm picking up a criticism <laughs> of American propaganda in the media and how the population are blinded by materialism and just conform to what the government and corporate power structure wants, even comparing it to Nazi Germany. Just victims of the in-house drive-by. They say jump, you say how high. The end of the track has a quiet breakdown section that features De La Rocha saying softly, a bullet in your head, and it builds up in volume musically and vocally until he's screaming again. And I didn't care for this one at all, really. It didn't do a whole lot for me. It's too hip-hop flavored for me. This was the second single that reached number 16 on the UK singles chart. The next track is Know Your Enemy. Paul, do you know your enemy? I think so. <laughs> so, I love the way Morello makes his guitar sound like a synthesizer for the intro riff. Then the song is straight up metal. The riff builds each time. Both the main and secondary riffs were written by Comerford on an acoustic bass. The drum beat brings you right into the energy of the song. The bass has a good bounce to it. I think I read that he uses a slap bass style. The bridge fe features tool vocalist James Maynard Keenan on the vocals 
And also, James Addiction's drummer, Stephen Perkins, plays some extra drumming in the background. The lyrics are anti-war and anti-establishment at their finest. The thing with rage is, there's always some injustice to rally against, and they are pointing out here that the system is set up for some to succeed and for some to fail. And if you toe the line, you may succeed, but are living a lie. They say, fuck that, and make it so that the system promotes equality as well as the intended ideals as opposed to what has resulted with racism, hypocrisy, and all the other ills that he lists at the end of the song. Mike? So I know my enemy, and they're Nickelback fans. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, here's the I, – I, that toggle switch at the beginning that he does, with the, I, I, I think that's cool. I, I really like how he does that. And I think one of the reasons why I like it so much is because it really goes in – this is my, probably my favorite straight-ahead Morello riff of all time. You know, so that's for me, like, okay, this is what I want to hear out of you. I like that riff a lot. And he doesn't overdo it with that toggle at the beginning. So I like that. And the other thing I like about it, it's actually kind of slow and deliberate under the verses, similar to in Take the Power Back. But it's a straight ahead chord riff between the verses. And I've mentioned it on previous episodes. I love it when a band knows to get the fuck out of the way for the riff, which they do here to perfection. They just stop, let that riff take over. And which is... That's that's not a hip hop band that does you know that's not a hip hop act that does that that's somebody who's got their their feet planted in metal and hardcore and things of that nature that slow and deliberate feel extends beyond the riff to the rhythm section again Tim Comerford he's got that angry thick pluck to his playing that is really at its pinnacle as he plays the melody under the solo which is the complete tits by the way then the band gets out of his way for him to come in with that bass riff so he can build it back up and hand it back over to zach maynard i think it's a great guest performance um because he, it really fits the song and obviously we know zach can't sing so they needed someone <laughs> to deliver that which i think he actually did a really good job on it and this is my absolute favorite not only my favorite song on the album this is probably my favorite rage against the machine song out of everything they've ever done okay the intro features Morello using his toggle switch to create a tremolo effect over Comerford's slap bass. And then we get an up-tempo main riff written by Comerford that to me kind of resembles the Edgar Winter group's Frankenstein. And then it settles into another heavy secondary riff in the verses, again written by Comerford, while De La Rocha raps the lyrics, which I don't like. The bridge slows the tempo and features Maynard James Keenan from Tool on vocals, and he's just kind of droning in a monotone until he gets a final scream. This section also has Stephen Perkins from Jane's Addiction on added percussion, and Perry Farrell from Jane's Addiction was supposed to sing it, but he didn't show up, so they got Keenan as a last-minute replacement. The solo finds Morello using the Digitech whammy pedal harmonizer and the toggle switch, and it sounds weird and cool. The lyrics again slam the American government, and authority must always be questioned. The band breaks down into a false ending, then restarts the verse riff with De La Rocha saying, Come on, yes, I know my enemies. They're the teachers who taught me to fight me. Compromise, conformity, assimilation, submission, ignorance, hypocrisy, brutality, the elite, all of which are American dreams, with De La Rocha shouting even after the music stops. Now, the political stuff doesn't bother me. It's just how it's delivered that doesn't do it for me. The following track is Wake Up. Shake your work, don't break the structure up. It's blood still flows, 
Paul, what do you think? This one rocks right from the get-go. I love it. The riff is unique, and the bass and drums give it a groove right from the start. The second riff has this cool echo sound to it. or It's not an echo, but I don't know. Like it was recorded in like a howl bucket or something. I don't know. It has just this cool cool sound to it. I don't know how to describe it, but an echo is the best I could come up with. Uh, the bass line during the breakdowns is funky as hell. Morel's guitar fills are crafty and funky as well. I like his synthesizer sound that he makes. And the song sounds a lot like a Tool song with the tuning, but also with the arrangement. The lyrics, surprise, surprise, deal with racism within the American government and the federal law enforcement agencies. The band is asserting that these agencies targeted and tried to prevent and even assassinate black leaders. Wake up to the reality that the government, instead of helping people, has purposely kept the people down. Mike? All right, so it's got a that riff at the beginning reminds me almost got a cashmere feel to it. Yes, there's like a like a just a cashmere tone. Yeah, um, I get that. Yep. But before uh, Morello's siren like wail and another cool riff, for me though the hook is that fucking porn music that he plays under the verses. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you know I always thought that like the People's Court theme song would be perfect porn music, but yeah, it's like this, I think this would work as well. <laughs> Um, and it's got that straight ahead riff between them. Morello also punctuates Zach's verses with little, little kind of Morellian flourishes. The solo has more toggle switch work. That sounds like it was filtered through a kazoo though. Um, it's got a weird tone to it. And, uh, before both, uh, Morello and Tim Comerford play that riff with urgency before Zach gives himself a, an aneurysm while he's yelling who put the price on his head. And then the song drops out for that cashmere riff to come back. And we think it's winding down, but then we hear Zach reading a memo from J Edgar Hoover, but that last minute, that could be 2020 set to music. It's I like, I like the song. It, it just, everything is hitting you, especially this year has been crazy. So this, this is it, it's definitely resonating. And the podcast has added a new word to the English language, Morellian. I like that. That's right, Morellian. <laughs> the intro riff sounds cool, almost Zeppelin-esque, along with Morello's tremolo picking over the top. Then Comerford's bass introduces the main riff and drop D tuning, and the band grooves on it while De La Rocha does his thing, which I don't like. Lyrically, it's about leaders of racial movements and how when they speak up against the government, they end up assassinated, specifically referencing Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. De La Rocha clearly believes a government conspiracy is behind it, and he's trying to wake up the people to this. Musically, it has multiple sections. The solo section sounds like Morello might be using a talk box along with his toggle switch. Blech. I don't know if he actually is, but it kind of sounds like it to me. I think you referred to it as a kazoo. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, kazoo. yeah. I'm hoping that's actually what it was. Then the music goes double time with a uh, and a quiet passage with Wilk beating on the toms and De La Rocha quietly saying, I think I heard a shot. Then the intro riff returns while De La Rocha yells, I think I heard a shot. Then a new section with Wilk rolling on the snare, quiet bass and guitar, and De La Rocha reciting an FBI memo from director J. Edgar Hoover about neutralizing a black nationalist leader. It all builds up to the main riff blasting out and De La Rocha screaming, wake up, over and over. This song was a live favorite where De La Rocha would make different political speeches in the quiet sections. This one, there's parts I dig about it and parts I don't, and I don't know. The next track is Fistful of Steel. Fistful of steel. 
Like this one, Paul? Yeah, I do like this one. After a nifty little intro, the main riff kicks in. It's heavy. Then the bass and drums kick in, and this song is super heavy with a great groove. The bass during the verse is totally sick. Morel makes a siren noise on the guitar, and that's pretty cool. And the scratching he does during the bridge is mesmerizing. The solo is pretty straightforward, though. The lyrics seem to be more about De La Rocha's aggression that he feels towards the establishment, and there's a call to arms to join him. Don't let the media influence you to sit back and do nothing. I usually cite this as my least favorite song on the album, but I was really digging it while prepping for the podcast, and it's not my least favorite anymore. I really like it. All right. Rock and Mike. So I love that squeal in the opening before what I'm assuming is a downtune riff, just because it was the 90s, and I think every heavy 90s song had downtuning, or was that drop D, they call it? Yeah. Tim Comerford mimics Morello's squeal complete with the bend, but not in unison, which sounds cool as shit. I really like how they're not lining up, but they're playing close to the same thing. Again, the rage formula. Save the riff for between the verses and in the choruses, and then... Morello does kind of his Morello. We'll go back to my word, Morellian stuff underneath uh, Zach, which gives it that hip hop feel. Morello's toggle filled solo. It builds to me what sounds like Muttley from the Wacky Racers, but he's talking <laughs> through one of those battery powered kid microphones. <laughs> it's just like, it's like he's like, <laughs> and there's like this weird. <laughs> I can't put my, I can't, I really can't put my finger on it, but it's just like, it's just this weird amplified Muttley that I, that I, I, I don't know why. Um, All the, we need uh, is Dick I, Dastardly to make an appearance. And we'll I know, right? Yeah. The, uh, I, I like Zach's cadence and his delivery on the song, which for me is actually the saving grace because while musically it's got everything I like in it, it's starting to get repetitive. So the fact that he switched up the cadence I, say really saves the song for me. Yeah, I dig Morello's intro riff and the bass slides Comerford throws in in that part. And he does it also in the verse. Riff. Comerford, I'll tell you what, he's really a highlight on this album. I, yeah, he's, he's nasty, man. Yeah, he's yep. underrated in my opinion. You never yeah. hear about this guy, but he's really, really good. Yeah. Morello gets these lengthy squeals out of his guitar in the verses, and De La Rocha does his thing, which I don't like. <laughs> Morello does more toggle switch stuff in the solo section, and it seems like a trademark of his. It obviously is. But then he rips out a blistering solo towards the end of the track that grabs my attention. The riff that closes the track is another good one. And man, I'm digging the riffs, but they keep adding these hip-hop sounds that I get why they're there. I just wish they weren't. The lyrics, again, address conformity and submission to the American power structure with the media in compliance with it and how the people need to rise against it. This is another one I really dig for the riffs. The penultimate track is Township Rebellion. Someone jumped on the king in the township rebellion. 
What do you think, Paul? I think that this one's pretty frantic. The main riff kicks it off, but only briefly. And then we go right into the verse with this nasty, constant hypnotic bass line and Morel making more siren sounds. The drumming is hip-hop influence, almost like there's some dude with buckets and pans on the street corner. But the riff is heavy and the rhythm is tight during the chorus. The guitar solo parts are full of Morello's tricks. The song breaks down and changes chords and riffs a little about two-thirds into it. And it sounds like something ready to explode. It builds and eventually does bring forth the explosion of sound and De La Rocha's screaming. Lyrically, it's a, again, it's mostly about the social injustices and calling connections between the apartheid in South Africa and the conditions in American cities like South Central L.A. Most of us like to think that the injustices we see throughout the world are awful and that it doesn't happen here. But we know that's not really true. Rock and Mike. All right. So I put this was a cowbell and a bumblebee at a rave. <laughs> <laughs> and Paul, man. That's twice I actually have written down. So I put, um, we've heard this main riff before. It has all the signature sound, except for the frantic, tick, tick, tock to the rhythm section. (laughs) 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 Oh my God, I'm on a podcast with two Sane Anger fans. Holy fuck. You are. Uh, Mike, when I wrote when I wrote that it was frantic, I actually thought tick tick tock, and I'm like, I'll piss Aaron off if I say that. <laughs> Holy I shit, have, it's two against one. This is ridiculous. I actually wrote it out. <laughs> um, but for me, right now in the album, I, I you know we we've done it all before. Somebody did something bad. Somebody else is mad about it, and we're gonna do a toggle switch solo and. It just doesn't seem as original as the other tracks, even though I've heard it before. Um, So this one is Mike's Unimpressed Fluffy Fuckery. Comerford's bass sounds like a buzzing bee. I picked that up, too. While Wilk gives us more cowbell, leading to a slow, plodding riff section that sounds like Rage doing its best Black Sabbath imitation, and very poorly, I should say. I haven't talked about Brad Wilk much, but he's a solid drummer. His playing style isn't complicated, but he does little subtle rhythmic things that you'd notice if he didn't do them. He's a decent player. De La Rocha does his thing, and I don't like it. <laughs> Morello's solo is interesting. It's got that harmonizer on it, and he does some mini shredding runs. It's cool. The lyrics cover familiar territory. I'm kind of echoing what you said, Mike. Societal structure holds the people down. Religion plays a role in this as well. It's another call to action. Why stand on a silent platform? Fight the war, fuck the norm. He wishes he could be peaceful, but look where that gets you. De La Rocha then lets out this growl that with his little kitty voice, he sounds like the cub in The Lion King trying to roar like his daddy. That all you got, Simba? Oh my God, it's adorable. To me, this is the least interesting track on the record too, and it's Aaron's Stinky Stinker. And that brings us to the final track, Freedom.
about this last one, Paul? This one's my favorite song of the whole album. It's actually probably my favorite Rage song of the whole catalog. I love the line, Anger is a Gift. It's also probably one of my favorite music lines of all time, lyrical lines of all time. It just, it's, you can fit it in so many different ways. But the main riff kicks this one off and it's heavy. The bass and drums, again, create this cool groove that makes you want to thrash. The bass during the verses just throbs and the drums fill in creatively. Then it all crashes together, and I love that organized chaos. Morello's solo is simple and effective. Lyrically, it's just saying, how free are we? The government tries to control a lot of what goes on. Use your anger as a gift to join rage and rebel against the system. It all builds up again with some drum rolls and a breakdown. Then the band explodes into a climactic finish with De La Rocha screaming along with them. I fucking love it. Mike? You're three for three, Paul. The uh, so, <laughs> I, I, You must have saw my notes ahead of time. Uh, so I was it, cheating. <laughs> yeah, you must have been. So I thought this was a cool way to bookend the album, to both start the album and end the album with a single. I thought it was a nice touch. So this has that signature rage structure with the groove riff to fill between the verses like I've been talking about. It's got a little bit different. It's got some wood, seems like woodblock percussion in different parts, another propelling uh, baseline by Timmy. <laughs> and um, I put in there too, one of my favorite lyrics of all time, anger is a gift. I not, I shit you not. I used to quote it all the time. It'd be ranting or raving about something somewhere, probably working. <laughs> They're like, why are you so mad? And I'm like, anger is a gift. I would, <laughs> I would throw that in everywhere. But yeah, it, I mean, I think if I remember right, the video was about uh, Native American Leonard Pelletier and, you know, yep. you know um, and FBI agents, you know, on the on the reservation. And um, so they, they used that as kind of their platform to bring out even additional topics. Um, and I believe the even the backdrop where they recorded this, it said free Leonard Pelletier behind the band. So this was probably I'm thinking second song I heard. Like I said, I think I had the album at this point. But I this is also one of my favorite rage songs of all time, too. And and honestly, it's for that line. I just think that's such a cool line. Anger is a gift because you could have so many conversations with somebody just based on those three words and kind of what it means to you. So I, I think it's a great way to end the album. Ugh. Right back into another mid-tempo riff that sounds like all the other mid-tempo riffs on this album to me. The verses have some woodblock percussion, and I kind of like the guitar Morello plays over the staccato bass while De La Rocha does his thing, and I don't like that. I read that the lyrics are inspired by Leonard Peltier, a Native American indigenous rights activist who, as of 2020, has spent the last 43 years in prison for aiding and abetting the murder of two FBI agents in 1975 on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation in South Dakota. The indictment and conviction was very controversial, and Peltier has been asked for clemency by human rights groups as well as by some political figures even. Then the music drops out. De La Rocha whispers, anger is a gift. Fantastic line. I agree with both of you. And suddenly in the next section, everything speeds up. The drums crash and the bass and guitar create some organized chaos. The solo is quite restrained and tasteful. Morello doesn't even do much. And we get another connective riff passage to the last verse in fast sections with De La Rocha growling again. Take it easy, Simba. <laughs> then for the outro... We have an ascending guitar and bass line that gains in volume as De La Rocha whispers freedom and then builds up to a growl again, which has me cracking up so much I missed the first few times he screams freedom. 
we get a trash can ending and guitar feedback, and then it's over. Thank goodness. Now that the track by track is finished, we'll give our final thoughts and album ratings. For you new listeners, the rating is a 0 to 5 system, with 5 being a favorite album of ours, all the way down to a 0, which got trampled in a township rebellion. <laughs> Paul, what are your final thoughts on Rage Against the Machine's debut? All right, so I think that Rage is an acquired taste, at least lyrically and with the rap rock format. Good or bad, that style came of age in my teen years, and well, you just tend to like the music in your teens that your parents hate. So for the most part, I dig a lot of that stuff. But Rage is a step above all that, in my opinion. I know nothing about playing guitar, and maybe it's actually way easier to make a guitar sound like a scratching record than it is to play more traditionally. But if it is, I don't see too many copycats out there. So I think Morello here is is really groundbreaking. Protest music from the 60s and 70s made rock and roll what it is and was, and with few exceptions, that was largely lost in the late 70s through the 80s. I think Rage brought it back in a big way, it was obvious and in your face, unlike the more subtle style of Bruce Springsteen or disguised as 80s pop like Devo. And while I'm totally a sucker for rap rock music, the real draw for me is the message and when it still resonates today. It's so in your face, which I love. What can I say? I want my rock music brash. I love the sound. I love the message. And I love Rage from the moment I heard them. As far as the rating here, I'm going to go with a 4.5. I'm not convinced it's even the best Rage album. But it's groundbreaking, unique, and just flat-out rocks. Rockin' Mike. So like I said at the beginning, I had a, a friend of mine um, who was turning me on to a bunch of different sounds. And so I was looking for something different. And we went and bought this record. And I wore it out for many, many years. Probably the first three Rage albums. Well, it's pretty much all they had. Those there's three, only three. Yeah, there's, there's, only three. Yeah, there's only three. <laughs> and then the cover album. Uh, yeah. right, so those three up through Battle of Los Angeles, I really wore them out. Um, but this one of all of them, this is the one I like the I like the most because it's the one that hit me the most. I haven't listened to this record in years, but I really did enjoy it at its time. Um, and I've kept the copy. I even still have a radio only promo for Bomb Track where the covers uh, Shake Guevara. Uh, of course, what else do they have? But it holds a place and. I think what happened is what separates Rage from like your your Limp Biscuit is Limp Biscuit was very cock rock while doing the hip hop at the same time. And that's very heavy handed. And the lyrics on Rage are very heavy handed. They're just in opposite spectrums. Um, at this point in my life, yeah. I can revisit Rage. I I can't yet revisit Limp Biscuit. I, I really can't. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna give the record a four. Um, I, I had a lot of fun kind of reconnecting with this in the past couple of weeks. Rock and Mike, you could take uh, some Limp Biscuit to the beach and it's a little easier to listen to at the beach. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. <laughs> with, a, with a few cold beers. <laughs> Looking for the nookie? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> it brings you back into that frat rock vibe, right? Like. Uh, yeah, it yeah. does. It, uh, yeah, it just takes me back to... Uh, my 1989 Chevy S10 pickup getting vandalized by football players <laughs> in college. <laughs> That's what kind of turned me off to frat rock. Was well, actual, yeah. Oh, I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Those the actual frat boys. Yeah. Yeah. The, du- the douche canoes that they are. <laughs> <laughs> Rage Against the Machine formed in 1991 when former lockup guitarist Tom Morello 
joined forces with childhood friends Tim Comerford and Zach De La Rocha, who had been in the hardcore punk band Inside Out. Morello contacted Brad Wilk, who had unsuccessfully auditioned for both Lockup and Pearl Jam, to take the drummer's chair. The chemistry was immediately apparent, and the band named themselves Rage Against the Machine after a song De La Rocha had written for Inside Out, based on a phrase coined by record label owner and zine publisher Kent McClard. On October 23, 1991, Rage played its first gig at the quad of California State University, Northridge, playing heavy guitar-driven music with angry, politically charged rap vocals. Most of the tracks that would appear on their first album were put down on a 12-song self-released cassette, and it garnered interest from several major record labels with the band signing eventually to Epic Records. The self-titled debut album appeared in late 1992 with a cover featuring a 1963 photo of the self-immolation in Saigon of a Buddhist monk who was protesting the U.S.-backed Vietnamese government and its oppressive policies toward Buddhism. To promote the album, the band played on the 1993 Lollapalooza tour, as well as a support act for suicidal tendencies. There's no way I would dispute this record's impact and influence. This band became an instant sensation, and I have to say that all four men are talented players. They really are. Unfortunately, this album has never really connected with me, largely due to the rapped vocals. And if you asked me two months ago what I thought of this album, I would have said I don't like it at all. Going back to it now, I can pick out a lot of musical stuff I like, though if I'm being honest, none of it blows me away. And though I recognize Tom Morello's innovative and influential guitar style, and it is, he wouldn't even make my top 50 favorite guitarist list. I respect what they do. I fully understand why Rage is so important and popular, but fuck me. I also see this band as the forerunner to the new metal movement that came to prominence in the mid to late 90s, and I am decidedly not a fan of that shit. Motherfuck Limp Bizkit. (laughs) This music just does not resonate with me. I give Rage Against the Machine's debut album a two, and that's me being generous. But I totally respect that it does resonate with a fuck ton of people. Maybe if they had a different vocalist, I'd dig them more. You know, maybe somebody with a phenomenal pipes who was a singer instead of a rapper. I don't know. Those grunge singers in the 90s were pretty good. Maybe if one of those guys played with the rest of Rage, I would connect to the music more? Hmm. Just imagine. Now we'd like to thank Paul Lange for returning to the podcast and unleashing the Rage with us. Great time, man. Thanks for having me on, man. It's always a lot of fun. Of course. It's always nice when we've got another St. Anger fan on with me. Oh, yes, that's always key. (laughs) (laughs) We got a Facebook recommendation. It comes to us from our friend and fellow podcaster, AJ Grill, and it says, Superb podcast. Great takes on albums and rock and roll in general. Short and sweet. Thanks, AJ. (laughs) And to all the listeners, thank you, and please keep those Apple podcast reviews and Facebook recommendations coming. It really helps the podcast out. Rock on. And that's going to do it for this episode. You can find this podcast at places like Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, TuneIn, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. So if you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review of it. If you take the time to do that, we'll read your review right here on the show. If you'd like to contact us directly, we can be reached at RidiculousRockRecords at gmail.com and also on the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews Facebook page, where there's a link to hear each podcast, including the Album Addicts branch of the show. You can also recommend the show on Facebook if you prefer to do it that way. And yes, we'll read your Facebook recommendation on the podcast. We're also on Twitter at R4 Podcast Aaron and Instagram under R4 Podcaster. 
You want to come on the podcast and talk about an album with us? Let us know and we'll set it up. We're always looking for co-pilots to host a show with us, and we would also welcome any requests or suggestions for albums to cover. Feel free to leave all of your feedback, comments, reviews, and or suggestions at any of those places I just described. We'd love to hear from you. So for Album Addicts, I'm Aaron. And I'm Mike. See ya. Timmy! Simba, you deliberately disobeyed me. <laughs> you got you got to find a way to take the fart noise and like scratch it or something, make it sound happy. On October twenty-third. On October twenty-three. Is it twenty-three or twenty-third? God, I mean, I don't even know what the fuck I'm saying. You said twenty-three. Third. I'm glad. I'm glad it's not only me today, Aaron. Oh man, I'm off my game. Yeah, October. Yeah, all right, Jesus. All right, twenty third. My goodness, I, I don't even know the English it's language anymore. It's because I made you do an album you hate. Oh, I know. I did drive. What the hell, dude? Are you? Are you feeling, are you feeling frantic? I hear a little sin anger in your voice, Aaron. Oh man, I'm ready. I'm angry. Hey, what, what do you hate more, sin anger or rage? Sin anger is a gift. <laughs> <laughs> well played. <laughs>